Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I want you to meet David Chen, the guy who can podcast about anything. <laughs> and joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. I can fix any tech product, anyone. <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. Hey, I want you to meet Jeff Kanata, the guy who can podcast about anything. Wait, <laughs> did you just say the same thing about that guy? <laughs> is that really what you had prepared, Jeff? No, I just improv that because it worked from the you movie. An Listen, yeah. you got an improv master over here. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed thematically consistent with the movie. It perfect. It was perfect. Well, those are in reference to the main review we're going to have today of The Suicide Squad featuring guest Frank Barberi. He's the uh, writer of comic books such as Five Ghosts and video games such as Darksiders Genesis. So it's going to be a fun review. Before that, we got a bunch of what we've been watching and some weekly plugs. But first, I want to acknowledge... Hey, the gang's back together again, guys. Hey. It's been a few weeks since the three of us have been on the podcast together. That's right. And, and now we're all on our own uh, time time zones. That's we're, right. all, we're all in we, three separate time zones. represent three different <laughs> time zones. We're time uh-huh. traveling just in the context of the show. It's amazing. <laughs> Indeed. On the After Dark over on patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and After Dark episodes, we're going to be talking about all the stuff that's happened in the last couple of weeks including Jeff's big move across the country. So, so Actually, we're gonna... across the country. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, Halfway, I see. indeed. Yeah. Halfway I see. across oh. the country. I, I mean, the, I, to this day, <laughs> I still get jokes from people making fun of me for using that expression. So uh, I just... it will, uh, you know, if, if we have one gift for you for the rest of your life, Dave, yes. let it be this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 no, I, I appreciate that. It, I, I, I'm surprised at the speed with which it's caught on. You know, I, I figured <laughs> it would be how like, memes work. You yeah. guys would have to it's... keep using it for like a month or no. two before really. Nope, but like a week later, people are still yeah. So it is anyway. proportional to the transgression. <laughs> Uh, but yes, patreon.com slash film podcast where you can sign up to get After Darks where we talk about random topics and specifically our lives uh, in in ways that we don't get into during the main show. So thanks to all of our patrons. Thank you, patrons. And, uh, we appreciate you. All right. Uh, let's get straight into it this week, what we've been watching this week. And we want to mention that you can, of course, always share with us your suggestions for what to watch using the hashtag slash tag. So hashtag slash tags, I can recommend stuff for us to watch. Jefferson Kanata, you've been watching a couple things this week. Hit us up. I have. I was so excited to finally be able to watch the first episode of What If, the new Marvel TV series on Disney+. And as you may or may not know, I am a Marvel zombie from way back. And I... Had not heard that. Had not heard that. As a kid... I think it's almost trite. People have been saying this a lot I've read on the internet, but uh, I was certainly one of those people where one of my very favorite series was the What If series from Marvel Comics uh, because it felt like this wonderful way to break all the rules, right? It was Marvel breaking all the rules. It was saying, throw out everything you know. We're just going to show you something absolutely crazy. It's going to be a mix mash mishmups of of ideas like what if this was that instead what if everything you know about the marvel universe was topsy-turvy and it, something different happened and it was really wonderful as a kid who was completely obsessed with marvel comics and marvel comics lore because it requires you to understand the original thing that is being riffed off of to get it 
Uh, it is, it, it, you know, it's the second layer down right. of storytelling, yeah. which is why it is so wildly improbable that this thing could work as a television series. Like, how, how is it possible that we are, that deep Marvel lore is so ingrained right. in mass mm-hmm. media culture that we can now let riff on very obscure ideas or or these these side characters and throw them into... <laughs> the mix in, in subversive, interesting, different ways, it, because it requires you to understand what we're not doing. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it almost seems like mainstream fan fiction is what's it happening. Absolutely here. is. Yeah. Absolutely is. Yeah. Now, yes. now to be fair, I will say that what is remixed in the what if series on Disney plus is, uh, all stuff that's been in the movies. Like it's taking the movies as kind of the, the canon that they're remixing as opposed to like, yeah, right. As opposed to like something for the comics that was never depicted in one of the movies. Or something. Oh, that's not, right. yeah, not yeah. In, at all yeah. what I meant, but, but, but the fact that the movies are so ubiquitous and well yes. known that you can do that. It's, yes. it's wild. I mean, it, I, I agree. There are, I agree. Yeah. There are very few, I think there are very few movies series that you could, or film franchises that you could even do that with. I mean, of course, Star Wars probably, but I don't know how many, how many, it, it, I mean, there are certain things that would work for the core fans, but like mm-hmm. the, the whole concept of this just requires a baseline fundamental understanding right. of the, the way very obscure characters interact with each other. Maybe, you know? maybe everything that was made into a Lego game. How about that? So Lord of the Rings, <laughs> Harry yeah, Potter, yeah. You mm. know, uh, the yeah, Matrix Potter wasn't, would but the yeah. Matrix would work. Yeah. This, this is a great, uh, a sort of test, a litmus test, right? <laughs> yeah. Is if 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 people oh, know enough I see of your where plot you're details, going with this, goddamn it! <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> if people know enough of your plot details to make a Lego game out of you, then they know yeah. enough to make a what if series mm-hmm. out of you. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like what if Natiri. Uh, had uh, <laughs> had not participated in the great ceremony of the the old tree. I don't know. I'm fucking it. I'm proving your point. I'm proving your you point right be, now. Oh God man, damn it. Uh, anyway, what if she hadn't been part of the Ometakaya? <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so uh, just on a sort of like the fact that this series exists at all level, I'm already giddy. You know, it just seems it just it's just I mean, it shows the ubiquitous the ubiquity and world dominance of the uh, the Uber media corporation that is Disney. But also it happens to be my personal kink. So I'm into it, you know, um, and I happen to think that based on this first episode, of course, there are many more to come. Uh, they're knocking it out of the park, at least for my money. I, I love the animation style. Wow, eye popping, gorgeous, gorgeous animation. I mean, this is a fully animated show. Um, I think the first sort of mainline Marvel MCU animated show, and it seems they have spared no expense. It is uh, a wonderfully I think unique animation style. It doesn't, it's kind of a mix between 2d and 3d animation. Um, it looks very, I mean, it, it, it really doesn't look like any other show out there as far as I know. Um, but it has, it it is really cinematic and beautiful and, uh, feels like a comic book come to life. It feels like if a comic book and a live action show could sort of be melded into one thing, this, what is, is, is how it would look. And I, I'm so there for it. I just, I thought the action sequences of this first episode were 
awesome. I, I mean, there were so many really cool moments and it's a half an hour. And I think, I know Dave, that you have uh, complained recently on, on Twitter, or at least uh, supported <laughs> those who have complained that no, nothing in Marvel is a complete story. It's just an ad for the next thing. And here we have a half an hour self-contained story that will never be continued, right? It is it is uh, that's not entirely correct. Uh, it's it seems possible that they will be continuing some of these storylines in future seasons of What If at this point. But yes, that being said, they are mm, they correct. are they have a beginning, middle, and end, and they're exactly not an right. advertisement exactly right. for the next thing. The spirit of what you're saying is absolutely 100 percent correct. And yes. uh, so I saw what I, I've actually seen the first three episodes, and the first episode, which is What If Captain Carter was the first Avenger. Uh, was a lot of fun, and uh, I thought I agree with a lot of what Jeff's saying. Uh, there's a couple of issues with it. I think that it doesn't explore the premise as deeply as I would have liked. There's a lot of interesting questions raised by the idea of Captain Carter becoming the first Avenger uh, that are, are are left unexplored, uh, and I think that's unfortunate. You know, ironically, um, that that was always a problem with the comic book as mm -hmm. well. Because they just, they're trying to do it in one issue and it, it, everything always felt rushed. And it was like, sometimes these are such juicy ideas. Back in the day, I remember as a kid being like, ah, oh, man, you just kind of, you know, just went right over that really cool element of it that would have been a big deal. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's not to defend it in any way. It, it is it is just consistent to, with the uh, concept that a half an hour is kind of not enough time to really explore and deliver an action-packed, fun, kind of cool Marvel story, but also explore the ramifications of what mm -hmm. the, this change would mean. Yeah, I, and I think, like, particularly the thing that I miss the most is, like, the relationship between Captain Carter and Steve Rogers, right? It's yeah. like, that. there's so much interesting material to mine there of, like, what if the situations were reversed? And it just the show just really doesn't go there. Uh, I will say that the second and third ones are much more interesting. And much more kind of like this first one I thought was like a very fun, action packed kind of style exercise. And the second and third one are like, mm, I'm actually like going to think about those for a little bit. You know, I'm going to like That's take great. those away and, and sit and think about those. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm into it, Jeff. Uh, I, I And I think that the the fact that it does not connect to the MCU in any like strong way and you don't need to like watch this to make sure you can watch Shang-Chi or the Eternals is a feature, not a bug. Uh, <laughs> I mean, after, the, the, this is your reward for watching every goddamn thing yeah. so far right, right? Exactly, like exactly. yeah yes and yeah, it does connect three, yeah go ahead it, it does connect because you you it, it was required reading for the for the you mm -hmm. know for the sure, delicious sure. dessert but you know what i mean like i i think that the uh at their worst at their worst shows like wandavision captain falcon winter soldier and loki felt like advertisements for the next movie at their worst and this does not feel like that, in my opinion. This feels like it's its own thing. It's doing something really cool and unique. And like like you said, like very few franchises could sustain something like this. And so uh, it's cool. I'm into it. I, yeah, go ahead. I know we differ on this point. I I happen to believe that advertising for the next thing is also a feature, not a bug. Yeah, but that's just yeah, my yeah. position. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is a completely defensible position. And it's like kind of like you know, it's what comic books have always been, right? Right. And so it's yes. like. Uh, they're just porting that that model over to movies, and some people like yeah. it more than others. Um, but yeah, but uh, don't, didn't, were you not impressed by the visuals of the show? I think they're really well done. They they look really beautiful, and I'm very curious. But it also felt like I don't know. Um, the animation style felt very much like uh, 
Mm-hmm. Like it was animated in a computer program. It's, it's very CG animation, which is a it's big, CG it's animation, a big but thing like, now. It felt yeah. like it's using like these kind of like digital figures that they're moving around. Yeah. Versus yeah. like you know yep. uh, the kind and of yeah. Now you ahead. have discovered what CG animation looks like, <laughs> and I am not a fan. But that, yeah. That yeah. said, on a frame by frame basis, it looks beautiful. Like mm-hmm. some some of the views, visuals they're able to come up with, and the action scenes are a lot of fun. Like there's some really great action in this first episode. So yeah. But I'm compared I'm so to curious, Invincible. I'd rather take yes this, this is yeah. way better than Invincible I am in, in, ter- in terms of animation style Devendra I'm so curious once you watch the show what you think of it yeah so. my Disney plus uh I'm having a really weird account issue so I've been like back and forth with Disney to try and fix this but yeah I'm looking forward to it but yeah Jeff, there, wanna... there's a lot to like there's a lot to like about the animation I think so yeah yeah and and the fact that they frame it around the watcher and they have um oh the actor's name Jeffrey is... Wright yeah Jeffrey Wright doing the yeah. uh voiceover of of the watcher is so cool i just love it i love how it's framed yeah it's, he's he's great at he's great toning ponderous uh, exposition as he has shown in uh, West numerous World shows and, yeah exactly yeah. so he's 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 a perfect pick uh, pick for this yeah but, yeah uh jeff i'm glad we're both enjoying this one man me too uh, I'm, so glad, I'm glad you're enjoying it because i know you've been sort of uh um, lukewarm on most of the marvel yeah, yeah. Mo- what shows. if jeff and dave agreed yeah <laughs> indeed indeed all right well, i'm that's sure by the end of this series you'll find something to hate <laughs> uh maybe maybe but i mean we're th- this, I'm this is clearly going to lead into some sort of multiverse thing. i also <laughs> like, believe on. that might be true yeah. I, I i really am <laughs> really this is why this is drop. here yeah. you got this after they introduced the whole concept of the multiverse yeah. i'm actually so, yeah. a dave chen yeah. variant that's talking to you right now um <laughs> the but anyway one. uh that's what if it's the one right that now. will not destroy the universe <laughs> Uh, that's what if it's streaming right now on Disney Plus comes out every Wednesday. Jeff Kanata, uh, what else are you watching? I have also been, I mean, I, I have been moving and so I haven't had as much time to watch things, but I did make time for the new Joseph Gordon-Levitt show, Mr. Corman, which is on Apple TV Plus. This is written, directed, and starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. I am a fan of Joseph Gordon-Levitt and I think his sensibility is very in line with the kinds of things that I like. And certainly that notion is reinforced by this show because mm-hmm. who boy, is it <laughs> my particular kind of uh, discomfort? <laughs> it is, it is a, have either of you guys had a chance to see any of this? I haven't. I haven't okay. Not at all. Uh, but also because I remember the last thing he directed uh, that movie uh, where where he had the the sex addiction or the porn oh, addiction, yeah, Don yeah, John? yeah, Don John, Don John. That movie, yeah. one of the most baffling things I've <laughs> ever seen. So I think I I got to like take a pause for a bit on this. Well, this that was, is that was eight years ago, Devin. It was it was. <laughs> He's gonna take a longer pause it? than eight years, Dave. No, have I haven't seen it. His seen career it. basically took a pause because of that well, movie. Like it was no, he, no, he he had a kid. He had a kid. Yeah, he took, he's, he took he's a had other things he's going on. Yeah, he, so. he he. I just was listening to an interview with him about mm-hmm. this show, and he he stopped, paused his career to have children. So that's good. Um, yeah. Um, so Mr. Anyway, Corman on Apple TV plus Mr. What Corman is about, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's basically a meditation on failure, which, you know, is one of my favorite topics. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, for sure. uh, it, it, honestly, I think it's fascinating. And in, in fact, I, I remember at one point, Dave, you saying, you want to make something together? What should we make? And I was like, let's make something about failure. And you're like, I don't know if I want to do that. Anyway, this is, um, <laughs> it, it is about a, a guy who had dreams of being a musician and is now a fifth grade teacher. And uh, it, it is uh, a, a sort of a deep dive into his 
existential crisis. Um, I've watched the first three episodes, which as of this airing, I th- uh, taping, I think is how much has aired, but um, I l- absolutely loved the first episode. It felt uh, weirdly synced up to my life. And it, like he drives a silver Honda Civic, which is the car that I drove for the first 12 years I was in LA. Um, he, uh, he lives in LA. Uh, it's like all around the areas that I know very, very well. Uh, it, you know, it, it, it is fascinating. It, it, I think he does a really great job. It is raw and honest and sort of brutally, um, um, uh, harsh, you know, he's, he's open and kind of, uh, willing to expose the, these deep, dark insecurities that this character has. And, um, man, it's, it's so good that the second episode is basically like a half an hour of what it's like to have a panic attack. <laughs> so, I mean, not for everybody, right? Sounds this like a blast. Not, not for everybody. Uh, but, um, I think really well executed, um, very compelling to me. I, I, I find a lot of sympathy in the character and he's struggling with, he's got, you know, he's got parents that have issues and he's struggling with his own issues and he's trying to figure his way through all manner of living in the, you know, 2019, which is where this is set. My understanding is that it, the show gets to. Uh, at some point, the episodes that have not aired, it gets to the pandemic, and I think it like reckons with the pandemic at a certain point. I'm very curious to see how that happens because it's all about. I mean, the 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 other thing that I love about it, as you guys know, I bring this up a lot with shows and films that use sort of a magical realism, where it, it'll things you know it'll use metaphor and it'll it'll break the rules of reality to, to kind of create a point and there's a lot of that there are special effects sequences in this show that just happen where you just sort of create a mood you know there, there's a, a a comet hurling toward the earth that only he can see and there are these wild sort of musical sequences that happen and i love that i think it's it's really effective and and evocative um so this is this show is really something special. I think it's it's not for everybody because it is pretty dark and uh, uh, and I mean not dark is the wrong word. It's just heavy. Heavy is a better word. It 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 is a person going through some heavy things, and you are right there inside that experience. There's no detachment from it. You are with him. The other thing I love about it too is that it is clearly an actor who is directing this. And I say that because there are long takes, long takes, mm. um, master and wide shots that are just actors acting with each other for minutes at a time where we're not intercutting, we're not breaking up the performance, we're just sitting in this single shot. The camera moves a lot, but it is you know, uninterrupted and it's letting car- actors interact with each other. We're not into close-ups and you know, edit it all up. It is... Um, and I love that. I love movies and shows that do that as well. So Mr. Corman to me is a, a really, really cool show. It's, it's, I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes for the rest of the season. I think there's 10 episodes and I've only seen three so far. Uh, that's Mr. Corman on Apple TV plus. And in, in a way, Jeff, my understanding of the show is it is Joseph Gordon Levitt's what if 
it is his yes. version of what mm-hmm. if he had not been successful. Basically. Yeah, so his name is Josh Corman, which is very close to Joe Joseph Gordon. Gordon yeah, so it. yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. yeah. So I think yeah, it's very very uh, sort of pseudo autobiographical in the sense that it yeah, it is this like examination of his psyche through this, you know, what if I was a failure? Yeah, which is honestly. I had this thought when I was watching it, an extraordinary thing as someone who literally had success from the age of like six or eight, Absolutely. you know, how he, you would even put yourself you in those that? shoes. Yeah. How do you even put your, and, and it, I think it just goes to show that we all have these anxieties and insecurities and there is no such thing as a level of success that is enough, but I'm still impressed that somebody that has been, you know, at a very high level and both in income and notoriety and level of, of kind of artistic expression as, as he has uh, would still be able to channel the feeling that it must take to write this and create this kind of a, a look at that experience. Hey, I got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Theragun. Oh my God, do my wife and I love our Theragun. I just moved to Denver. And our stuff isn't here yet. It's on a big truck heading its way here, I guess. If you're a patron, you've heard this whole big story. But the point is, we don't have our Theragun. It's on a truck. And I tell you, I didn't realize how essential the Theragun is to my life until I didn't have it for a few days. If you are like me and you wake up with aches and pains, just the stress of daily life that's weighing on your body, or maybe you're an athlete or you're someone who exercises, Just trying to make it through the day tension-free can be a problem. Theragun can help you. I'm telling you, my wife and I swear by this thing. Theragun, let me tell you what it is. It is a handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. And it's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. Now, let me tell you what that is. This thing, it doesn't just feel good. The, The Gen 4 Theragun It gets to the source of the pain by releasing tension using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. It it makes us so much more able to move and not feel awful (laughs) through the day, whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out or an injury or just the stresses of everyday life like I'm using it for. There is no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. My wife and I swear by this thing, and it's killing us that we haven't been able to use it for a few days. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. It's super cool. You just go to their site. You can check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. Theragun is trusted by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, hundreds of thousands of customers, and me. And my wife, uh, I'm telling you guys, this thing changed our life. We gifted one to my father-in-law for his birthday. He loves it. And you can try Theragun for 30 days starting at $199. Go to therabody.com slash filmcast right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash filmcast. Therabody, T-H-E-R-A-B-O-D-Y dot com slash filmcast f i l m c a s t
All right, let's move on uh, with what I have been watching this week. You know, I'm going to say something on this episode that I, I is completely improbable and that I say extremely rarely. Good job, uh, Jeff. No, um, mm. don't think that's <laughs> I'm proud of yet. you. Yeah. <laughs> Devendra was right. Uh, the White Lotus. Wow. Aha! Is a show that Devendra Hardwar asked me to, uh, or suggested watching. Right? Oh, I, I don't even know if I suggested. I was just like, I like this. Uh, now I'm, I'm forcing it on you guys. I'm, I'm getting. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get on this train too. It's, now it's, a, it's a wild ride. It is a wild ride since I've last talked about it. Yeah. It and so Devendra brought it up, and he seemed to like it. And I was like, oh, I've, I've heard some mixed things about it. And then literally my, or not literally, metaphorically, my entire Twitter timeline <laughs> is just filled with people talking about White Lotus. So I'm It's like, the show that okay. everybody chose to, yeah, follow Yeah, so I watched the, the first time. episode. I was like, okay, this is pretty good. And then uh, by the second episode, I was hooked and I've gotten through the whole series at this point. Um, the By the time you're listening to this, the season one finale will have aired. Yes. Uh, and yeah, uh, it is very addictive and it's very, very well done. And it actually makes me want to go back and watch Mike White's other stuff, specifically Enlightened, which the had two seasons on HBO Max. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying the White Lotus, and I think I think it was Devendra that brought up that like the unique thing about the White Lotus when you compare it to a show like Succession, which is also about rich white people problems, is that it tells the story from the perspective of the service workers as well, right? Yeah. Although I, w- I wish it gave us more from them, but it is certainly nice to get something. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's it's very unique, and it's it's that dynamic between the service workers and the people that they're serving on the show that makes it so so compelling. So I gotta watch this, and then maybe we can do like an after dark about it. Yeah, I'm yeah. up for it. Um, I think it'll be challenging. Oh, You've yeah, got a actually, bunch no, of catching up to do, Jeff. Like we that's could. A, uh, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. If I mean. We're recording in 48 hours. If you can watch all six hours. <laughs> no, 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 by, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, after yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but that'll be like in three weeks. It'll be like in September, basically. Mm-hmm. So It's, it's um, okay. There's this yeah. going to go away. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, it's, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for it. But yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. And the performances are great. The music is incredible. Uh, I, I'm in love with this show, and I think you should check it out. It's called The White Lotus. Yeah, yeah. It's on HBO Max. I'm going to add a couple of things since I first talked about it, because that was just based on, I think, the first or second episode. Um, having seen everything and where the show goes, I'm very, I'm just very happy that it's like reckoning with the awfulness of so many of these <laughs> characters. So if you start watching and you think, I hate all these people, good hold on to that emotion and just ride it through that the entire season, because I think it is a fascinating look at privilege and, um, and you know, the, these just like truly awful people, but also how they privilege and also like how yeah. different people can have different levels of privilege, depending yes. on, you know, what station in life they occupy, what race they are and so on. Like it's, yep. it's uh, yeah, it's fascinating. So go ahead. It's fascinating. Go. And uh, yeah, you will see things on TV. You would not think you would see on TV on the show. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's not. It's not TV. It's it's HBO. By the way, I, I want to point it's that HBO. out. It's HBO. It's true. I was yeah. uh, watching this while I was also vacationing in a beach house uh, with my parents when that uh, episode came up. So great. That was fun. Great. That was fun. Well, that's the White Lotus. It's on HBO Max, and uh, by the time you're listening to this, the finale will have aired. Watch all six episodes, and it has been renewed for season two, which is extremely <laughs> oh, exciting. Man. So yeah. yeah. Uh, Devinger Hardware, you've been watching a couple things. What have you been watching? 
Yeah, I want to shout out uh, Reservation Dogs, which is a new show. Um, I guess I've heard a F- lot of buzz about this on Hulu. Yes, right. It's FX on Hulu, so I don't know what yeah. the distinction is there. Maybe the more mature stuff. Uh, but it's a show about four uh, Native American teenagers who are growing up in a reservation in uh, Oklahoma. I believe it's created this by Taika Waititi's show, right? Yes, Taika Waititi's show together with Sterling Harjo. This show is great. This show is fantastic, and it is. It really puts you in the shoes of these kids who are basically stuck on this reservation. We don't really see stories about Native Americans uh, in general living today, but especially younger folks and the circumstances they have to deal with and the the way these communities are just like not not really well, uh, I don't know, financed. Like it, it, it is it is rough what a lot of kids have to go through. And to me. It is really fascinating to watch the show and just see the show is basically about a bunch of uh, four kids who are thieves. They're 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 thieves. They they go around stealing stuff from their um, from their reservation from people uh, because they're trying to get enough money to escape and go to California. But it also reckons with like why they're why they're doing that, you know, and what they're rebelling against. And I think it kind of I'm not going to spoil too much about the first episode, but it, it ends on a way where they're also trying to reckon with, you know, their place in the world and who they are as Americans and, you know, things that they maybe should fight for instead of just trying to run away from in a way. So it's funny. It is uh, serious at times. Like it's very much a dramedy, but I love these kids. And uh, there was a moment in the first episode where they even like live up to the name reservation dogs which i found to be really funny so it is worth checking out if you have hulu and if you want to see like a very you know a story about kids that you normally don't get to hear stories about um check it out it's reservation dogs on hulu i've heard great things about this i can't wait to check it out also uh heard great things about your next title brand (laughs) new cherry flavor you're just watching all the cool stuff right now i'm watching i'm I'm on the pulse here come on yeah brand new cherry flavor a series that's airing on netflix right now what did you think of brand new cherry flavor starring rosa salazar who we might remember from the amazon original series undone undone uh also alita battle angel yes um i I love the avatar of that year that it came out anyway go ahead I love Rosa Salazar. I will watch her in anything. And uh, Jeff, I think you you may have something to to like about this too. It's about an aspiring film director who mm. moves to LA in the early '90s to to kind of make her break. And uh, this is kind of like a horror thriller series with like mm. um, witchcrafty elements. Um, this show is wild, and I'm not sure if it's for anybody. It reminds me a lot of the, uh, or uh, like for anybody who is not used to like very um, gory, gross stories. Like this is, it's horror, but it's also like there's a lot of just like gross out imagery in this. Uh, this is a show where, not not going to spoil too much here, but this is a show where Rosa Salazar um, vomits a live kitten. In every oh, another episode. one of those shows, another one of those <laughs> that'll and you, chestnut. <laughs> you see her go through the process and the gagging and and the like, you know, the the spew and uh, the cute the cute little kitten. There, there's a lot of stuff like that and a lot of cool horror imagery. This show's pretty hacking up a furball, but this is ridiculous. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Thank you. We, for that, we could Jeff. just end the show right there on that, Jeff. Thank you. Um, the show is created by Nick Antoska, who also did Channel Zero, that wonderful sci-fi channel like horror series. So I'm really I, I'm checking it out mainly because he's attached uh, and uh, it's based on a book as well. 
but this is a show basically about her journey. It reminds me a lot of the, uh, what was the, the drive directors movie about LA, uh, only God, for, oh, only yeah. God forgives. Only God Not only God forgives the one after, um, oh, um uh, only the, I know. <laughs> yeah. I when know what I was working at the company the when it was put out. Um, yeah. The, uh, the one with the miles teller. No, too old to die young. I know what you're still not that one. Still not that one. It's Neon uh, Demon. He was so Neon confident. Demon. Neon, Neon Demon. Demon. Neon well, Demon. Tool, Tool to Die Young takes place in LA as well, I think. So that's it's true. Really, it's true. Yeah. He's, he's really into All LA at this point. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's true. Yeah, actually, ones, right? uh, but cool. Neon Demons look at LA as a sort of like, you know, uh, dangerous land. And there there's just weird shit going on everywhere. Um, I, I think this this series has a lot of that. Um, I've seen several episodes by this point, and it just like gets grosser and grosser. And uh, I've I've heard things about where the show goes, but I think it's also done so well. Rosa Salazar is so great as somebody who is like trying really hard to hold on to like her artistic vision uh, as L.A. Basically, the demons of L.A. try to destroy it. Uh, I, I find like her just very compelling. Catherine Keener is in the show as a sort of like witchy lady. And she, she is just kind of wild. Manny Jacinto is here. It's the first time I've seen him since the good place um, as like a friend to the Rosa Salazar character, basically um, horror thriller. You know, I think it's a really interesting horror thriller. And if you like your, uh, you know, your gross out horror stuff, uh, this may fit the bill for you. I, I think it's really compelling. I'm not sure how it would play with you guys is the thing. Like it gets, really gross i it, mean that's it gets what pretty I'm wild i'm into it i'm into it so i'm gonna check it out brand new cherry flavor yes. on netflix is the show especially um, after suicide squad if you want more uh, viscera in your life uh, check this out i'm intrigued uh mm-hmm. anything else you've been watching Devendra? always want more viscera always more viscera <laughs> i also want to shout out uh ted lasso ted lasso season yeah! two. still going strong and just recently they aired the uh, the Christmas special episode, which is uh, number four timing. or five, I believe. Yeah, Christmas in the summer. I will say, perhaps one of the the most perfect episodes of TV I have ever seen. And certainly, like watching this episode, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to watch this every Christmas now, like because it perfectly encapsulates like the the spirit of it. You're know, like, I'm not a religious guy. But Christmas is a time for family and friendship and to like, you know, celebrate the love in your life. Maybe a little like uh, the show just gets that really, really well. And uh, I think it's very good. So if you haven't caught up in Ted Lasso season two just yet, do it. Because uh, I, I think um, I think it's the strongest episode of the season I've seen so far. And it is is just fantastic. It is pitch perfect. Ted Lasso could save us all. He can. I hope. All right. That is what we have been watching this week. Why don't we get to some weekly plugs? Weekly plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something that we have created or that someone else has created that we uh, think you would enjoy. I want to recommend a couple things that I've uh, created this week. I did an interview with Ben Philippe, a writer who has written a new memoir called Sure, I'll Be Your Black Friend. Uh, notes from the other side of the fist bump. And uh, I had a fascinating talk with him about race and about uh, the media and representation. That is on Culturally Relevant. Check it out at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Uh, and I also am doing a recap show about What If with Dank Vosden, the Amazing Spider Talk podcast host. 
we are talking about that over on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chensky. Why? Uh, diving into every episode of What If and talking about all the comic inspirations behind each episode. So those are my weekly plugs this week. Did, was it this week that someone sent us a clip of uh, uh, Dan Gavazdin sending in sending yeah. in something to the Totally Rad Show like 15 years ago? And he tweeted a question that was read on the air at so the Totally crazy. Rad Show. Yeah. So cool. He went from just being a fan of the Totally Rad no. Show. To now uh, doing a YouTube recap podcast with me. Actually, that's it's basically kind of a similar point. He, he status. outclassed you know us I mean? even from the, the start. <laughs> Indeed, that, that guy is. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's he's top top tier. I agree. Agree completely. Um, all right, uh, Devendra Hardwar. What's a weekly plug from you? I want to shout out uh, the latest episode of the Engadget Podcast. Uh, it's about Samsung's latest round of foldable phones. I'm still off. This week or last week, uh, <laughs> as you guys are listening to this. So, yeah, I, I wasn't really following all the news, but my co-host Sherlyn Lowe uh, uh, kind, kind of dove into all that stuff. I, I'm not big into the foldable phones, but people seem to be into it. So check out this episode. I, I hear they have a lot I'm of I'm conflicted because yeah. I kind of wanted one of them foldable phones. Yeah, just, I, I, I gotta don't say, I, gotta I don't say, know, guys, like. The Galaxy, what is it? Uh, the Fold big one. Three? Yeah. Not, not yeah. The Z, there's, there's the, the Z, Z Flip, which is basically the Z a flip, flip phone. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's, so there's the Fold 3, which is yeah. kind of like a, almost like a tablet size. Yeah. And then there's the Z Flip, which is like a flip phone. Uh-huh. And which I, we will just always have our phones open. Is the thing I don't I don't know who's flipping their phones closed. I gotta days. say, yeah. I mean, I feel like we, as a society, and also <laughs> cinema. Mm -hmm. lost a lot when flip phones went out of style because flip phones were <laughs> such no a to, great... Sure. There's no way to hang up on somebody is what you're saying. Well, it's, it's nice there, there are, but it's much less dramatic. No, there, yeah, there's no way to angrily hang up on someone exactly. that is yeah that had, <laughs> or, lands with any kind of kick on screen. Or yep. dramatically pick up a phone too, right? Like yeah. if somebody's calling and you flip it open and it, you, you've answered well, it. The, the, the flip or the slide, because wasn't the Matrix one a slide, like slide up? It was a, it was a you press a button and it like- and it, it shut it had down. This, it oh, had yeah. this like extremely satisfying like- Love it. Like sound. ejected it. Like, a, like a clip, like a magazine I, from a I pistol. Know. So cool. yeah. I know, it was so cool. Super you cool. know, Jeff, this is like your nano uh, yes. nano devices rant that you're about to go on in about one hour on this podcast. Because <laughs> we recorded this segment before the review. Spoiler for the rest of the show. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's I just feel like, how well Dave knows me. Uh -huh. <laughs> I can predict, actually, I predicted that watching the movie. So, in yeah. approximately one hour, Jeff is about to go off on nano devices. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I always felt like having a phone that has like mechanical components to it is just cooler. And so this, yeah. this Z Flip 3 is actually legitimately tempting to me. Um, it, uh, it I've looks used cool. iPhones for the last like 12 years. <laughs> just because they want to like... I, I don't, yeah. They want to dramatically hang up on people and just <laughs> slam it shut. I, I have that urge all the time. I was listening to Neil I. Patel on The Verge uh, podcast, and he was saying... How dare you? There this is, is a, a recommendation of the Engadget <laughs> podcast. Oh, oh, I mean... <laughs> what are you doing? Devendra, that was after I had already listened to the... Uh, you had already uh -huh. recommended it. Uh -huh. I it's sloppy seconds. It's sloppy podcast. seconds. Don't worry. Yeah. I, I already... Yeah, this is this is like... This, this podcast is dog shit compared to the Engadget <laughs> podcast, right? But I was listening to this one, again, and marveling at how terrible the insights were compared to Engadget podcast. But one thing he did say was he predicted that in the future, everything is going to be foldable. Like, oh, sure, probably. There is no reason why 
it wouldn't be foldable because if the technology is good enough, who mm-hmm. wouldn't want to have smaller thing that folds compared yeah. to larger thing that doesn't fold? Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you agree with that prediction. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, listen, we've been every every piece of science fiction has practically been predicting this. I remember even reading Foundation for the first time. Like th- there were, you know, allusions to data pads and things like that. I think even folding ones. But yeah, we're we're gonna get there. Um, and the display tech is getting there. I but it sounds like would, it sounds like you don't think it's there yet. It's not a phone you'd recommend yet. It sounds. I like. mean, I know I know people who've bought the original Z Fold. I know people who bought the Z Fold Two. They're happy with it, but they were also happy spending two thousand goddamn dollars <laughs> on a phone of unproven tech that you're moving the whole screen. The whole <laughs> screen. You can't put a price tag great. on angrily snapping something shut. You, you, you know? can't. You can't angrily snap these phones because you will oh. destroy it. <laughs> so you gotta like. You gotta like take a breath and like slowly exhale. The, the example it. I would here, here, I mean, the example I brought up before on the filmcast is uh-huh. uh, Martin Scorsese's The Departed. Like, uh, if you watch that movie, that movie would not be possible in the age of smartphones sure. because there is literally a sequence, a critical sequence of the movie where the, people are texting each other using a phone that has like physical buttons. You know, um, yeah. In his oh yeah, the, the blind texting. Oh, the blind so text. Good. You can't do the blind texting oh. today. You yeah. know. Uh, anyway, all right. I, basically, uh, I missed my I, flip phone. I, I can. Bl- I, I blind text all the time. All right. All right. Smart, well, smart texting does a lot, but your your finger has to be in the exact right place. Right. 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 I, I miss. I miss my. <laughs> That's flip why phones. we get all those texts from Davinger that say Blorgenschlafen. I miss my flip phones. I'm sorry you don't think the tech is quite there yet, Davinger. I mean, Maybe it's uh, if you, if you can afford eighteen hundred dollars for one of these things, which has <laughs> a limited lifespan in terms of how many times you can you can flip it, and also get it as a test device, Dave. But I, I would not if you've been using an iPhone for a decade. <laughs> I I do not think you'll be happy with what Android does mm, because it, mm. it is not not as polished. Sorry, Android fans. All right, Jeff Kanata, you have a <laughs> weekly recommendation. Well, it's not going to live up to that 20-minute diatribe. Uh, I uh, I think it will, actually. No. I, <laughs> I don't know how many folks are aware. I am I am now speaking to you from uh, in my new house in the greater Denver, Colorado area. Uh, I had a very intense move. And if you, you know, if you want to be a patron, you'll hear all about it in our, uh, our After Dark this week. Uh, but before I left... Los Angeles. I had uh, a few opportunities to go and see folks that I hadn't seen for 18 months or more prior because of COVID. And one of those people was my co-host on the DLC video game podcast, Christian Spicer. And this week, this last week, uh, we did a video game podcast from the same room for the first time because all of my stuff had been packed up. I didn't have any ability to even record a show. So I went over to his house. He hooked up two microphones to one recording and we sat in the same room and tried to do the show and it just completely went off the rails. So <laughs> I, I figured it, it good. Was, I listened yeah. to this podcast and it was chaos. Yeah, it was, utter chaos. I, I actively <laughs> felt bad for the guest in this case. Oh yeah, we had a guest. Which e- was, even more so than usual. Oh, it was, <laughs> yeah, we were in the same room. The guest was virtually uh, piped in and boy, did he regret that. Um <laughs> No, he was very gracious and sweet, uh, yes. Adam Leonard. He's amazing from the Mega Dads podcast. Anyway, um, we uh, we had a good time, and I figured I'd bring it up here 
because anyone listening to this show is uh, somehow likes the things going off the rails because that's just sort of like, you know, <laughs> that's, that's our bread that's, and butter. Yeah. Par, par for the yeah. course here. Yeah. The show uh, will so, go off the rails at least once per episode. Right. So. so if you would like to hear that in the context of video games, go check it out. It's this week's episode of the DLC podcast, which you can find at five by five dot TV slash DLC. I listened to that episode and the one phrase that came to mind after I listened to it was Ed, Edward Norton's last words in Fight Club. You met me at a very strange time in my life. <laughs> yes. that, that Somebody's made, first episode of our show. I was like, let's see what this video game podcast is all about. And it, they it was were at a very it. strange time in your life. I yes, think. indeed. Yeah. Those are our weekly plugs. Hey, got to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Blenders Fresh from San Diego, California. Comes sunglasses that are so cool you just have to check them out. I'm talking about Blender's Eyewear. And you are going to be just as hooked as me when you see how awesome these shades are. You got prescription sunglasses. You have awesome, I mean, killer sunglasses. But the ones that I got are the snow goggles. I don't know if you know this, but I just moved to Denver, Colorado. I want to be in snow for the first time in my life. I'm so excited to get on the mountain wearing my brand new Blenders Eyewear snow goggles. I got the Arctic Motion snow goggles. These are so rad. You got to check them out. Chase Fisher started Blenders by selling his beachy shades out of a backpack while doubling as a surf instructor on Pacific Beach. And his goal was to create an adventurous mid-priced eyewear option with the same cool factor as other leading styles. But unlike expensive big brand shades that you've probably lost or smashed in the past, blenders are actually affordable. So you're not going to cry as much when the inevitable happens, which I love. I am always losing my shades. And Blender's team of in-house designers are constantly coming out with new styles from orange polarized wraparounds tortoise shell frames with purple lenses to classic gold arms on black lens. And it's not just sunglasses. Like I said, Blenders has prescription glasses, super perfect for me, whose eyes explode periodically. They have readers, they have blue lights, and the snow collection with goggles and accessories like helmets as well. Live life in forward motion with Blenders today. To score... 15% off your Blender's purchase. Visit blenderseyewear.com and enter promo code FILMCASTVIP. That's blenderseyewear.com, code FILMCASTVIP for 15% off. Blenders, rocked with pride worldwide. Let's get to our review of The Suicide Squad. He's in prison for putting Superman in the ICU with a kryptonite bullet. Not joining your Suicide Squad. We'll see. My court date is coming up. And Miss Waller said maybe you could help me out. You're stretching in my door! Everyone stand down. Miss Waller, I don't- Stand care. down! I wouldn't take such extreme measures if this mission went more important than you could possibly imagine. Are you in or out? Good. Let's meet your team. member has chosen for his or her own completely unique set of abilities. I need to feel the raindrops on my head. Hey guys, sorry I'm late. Had to 
on number two. Good to know. Is this thing a dog? A dog? What kind of dog do you think it is, mate? I'm gonna go with Afghan hound. Oh my god, is it a werewolf? Yo, they sat me next to a werewolf? Yo, let me out! Hey, he's not a werewolf, okay? He's a weasel. He's harmless. I mean, he's not harmless. He's killed 27 children, but, you know. That was from the trailer for The Suicide Squad, the newest film by writer-director James Gunn. It is a sequel, reboot, requel, legacy sequel. It's unclear. I mean, really, it's a whole new thing. It's a sequel. They added a the. They're using basically uh, Fast and Furious uh, numberings for their uh, (laughs) movies, which is to say completely nonsensical. Anyway, here's the plot summary from IMDb. Supervillains Harley Quinn... Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Bell Rev Prison join the super-secret, super-shady Task Force X as they are dropped off at the remote, enemy-infused island of Corto Maltese. Joining us for this review of The Suicide Squad, he is the writer of comic books such as Five Ghosts and video games such as Darksiders Genesis. He's also the author of Astonishing Times, a new superhero comic out on Comixology Originals, Frank Barberi, welcome to the Filmcast. How's it going, Frank? It's going well. Thank you so, so much for having me. And uh, you've all heard it, but longtime fan of the show. So it's a huge honor to be here and especially talk about something near and dear to my heart in terms of perfect. comics. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Fit. Long time, uh, long time listener, first time guest. Welcome to the show, Frank. It's a I pleasure mean, to have you. He may have been on one of my podcasts before. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll just I'm, say that. Other other shows don't matter. I'm How? coming for the extended Kanata universe. <laughs> How dare you? Extended Kanata universe. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. You're, wow. Yeah, that's you what you're part of, Dave. I'm like great, a side great. character in the Kanata universe. Is that I'm the goofy Asian sidekick? Is that what this is? <laughs> great, great podcast. I'm done. Thank you guys for having me. I'm out. <laughs> Well, welcome, Frank. Hopefully the rest of your appearance goes a little bit better than that just now. But uh, yeah, we are here to talk about The Suicide Squad. We're a little bit late. Uh, the movie came out a couple of weeks ago and in theaters and on HBO Max. It's probably going to be gone in theaters by the time you hear this podcast, honestly, because it hasn't been doing super well at the box office. But the question for you, Frank, is you know the first movie, Suicide Squad, David Ayer movie, made a ton of money, over $300 million domestically at the box office but was famously a disaster in both its making and execution. Uh, My question for you is with The Suicide Squad uh, and with a new writer-director coming in, presumably with more creative control, was James Gunn able to turn this ship around? What do you think, Frank? Uh, For me, absolutely. Like, unrecognizable. I I think I had watched the first Suicide Squad movie on an iPad, uh, (laughs) like, in disbelief, like, almost like nosebleed levels of, wow, who who made some of these calls. That's Despite right. having a fantastic cast and, and a lot going on, I just really, it did not click with me, I will say. But this one, uh, I feel like it was almost jarring in, in the difference in tone and, and direction and, and feeling very much like a James Gunn movie, which was refreshing as well as, I know, not super inside baseball with the DCU, but they either feel like Zack Snyder movies or, or straight, despite like loving actually mm-hmm. Shazam, which was something that I feel like also had its own voice. But uh, I will say for me, this, this did work and I was pleasantly surprised because I think it's a great concept. It's, it's some, I mean, the suicide squad itself has been around in comics for a long time. And I, I don't know. It was a, a real shot of energy as they say for me. I mean, I think just on a basic level, you know, suicide squad, the original uh, by David Ayer felt, really really incoherent i mean 
there were yeah. just completely baffling decisions that were made in that movie. Perhaps right? the most obvious studio cut of a film I think I've ever seen. Right? Like, I, just like nothing makes sense here. Yeah, there, there's so many things you could point to. I would say the the one thing that I can't forget, like the the one example from that film that if it's like wait why was that movie bad or why what was the evidence that this was the result <laughs> of studio tampering was the character of slipknot i don't know if you guys remember that character but joel uh, yeah, kidman he can climb anything introduces you him by saying, well you know meet slipknot the car- the guy who can climb anything and literally i think within 10 minutes that character is unceremoniously killed it's uh, uh it's amazing yeah, it's truly incredible. Yeah, yeah. and, and was, but that's you know that's kind of the the fun of 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 a movie called The Suicide Squad. You know, there's I, if, I, I, yeah. I thought you were going to reference the fact that there is like named introductions <laughs> for a whole group of characters that mean absolutely nothing to the plot. That there's like these this huge sequence that uh, 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 <laughs> that introduces characters, and then there's a freeze frame, and their name comes up on the screen, and they are very inconsequential to anything that happens it's like a big deal is made of them for no reason whatsoever yeah i mean you, you know jeff choose, choose your poison you know whatever <laughs> yeah. whatever floats your boat in terms of Th- why that it was scene could have worked if if it had like the tone of this movie yeah i think that's exactly it. like the tone right. of that movie correct is just insane yeah. i i actually yeah i actually disagree with what you were saying there jeff because i feel like this is a movie in which like people are mm-hmm. unceremoniously killed randomly and it feels intentional you know, right. in that movie, it feels like s- some editor got in there and like like chopped this thing to shreds, and that's why we're introducing a major character moments before they're killed. Um, but in this movie, when it happens, it feels like it's a it's a blast. So anyway, uh, all that said, there are many reasons why that movie was rough. Uh, we're just listing a couple of them. But Frank, it sounds like you know you had a much better time with this one. Um, are there any parts of this movie that you particularly enjoyed, knowing that we're not getting the spoilers quite yet? I feel like, uh, as I said up top, the tone was really refreshing for me. Like, mm-hmm. it, it, we've seen so much comic book stuff at this point in the last uh, ten years, and I feel like it really takes a lot for a movie to feel not original, but feel totally unique to me. And this again felt like a James Gunn movie and a kind of whole different cup of tea than a lot of the DCU. And and again, I'm still so inundated with the Snyder takes on things. And uh, it was really refreshing to see these characters portrayed just a little more like, and I don't want to say this as a pejorative, but like Saturday morning cartoon feeling like there was Mm -hmm. whimsy and fun, despite Mm -hmm. still being dark in quote like adult and level of violence and things like that but it, it just really felt i don't just totally more and i don't want to say comic booky because that's not specifically a thing but it, it had a kind of like energy behind it that i think a lot of these things miss when they become too self-serious or or too much of another kind of director's vision and, and i i'm excited to see that happen with a lot of these materials because i think when they become samey that's almost the death of of kind of uh, joy as a viewer, like, oh, I, I want to see a new take on something not the same, et cetera, et cetera. And, and honestly, the humor was nice as I've grown a little numb to the very kind of sarcasm-driven, like typical, almost like Marvel movie comedy that that I would almost say worked so well many, many times, but it's coming a little just like tone deaf to me at this point and becoming a little, well, not a little, coming very samey. Like this had some bits that, may not land for everyone, but was refreshing to see attempts at different kinds of comedy, not just 
not just like kind of even mean spirited, like sarcasm or even like characters negging each other. Like we've seen that for a long, long time, but, uh, but here we get some actual just like comedic interplay that is, uh, felt new to me at least in, in the landscape of, uh, especially DCU movies, but the kind of comic movies at large. I mean, say what you will about the DC universe. I think there is a much wider variety in terms of the tone uh, mm-hmm. than in Mar- in the Marvel universe. Between well, Wonder Woman... it's not a universe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, coming in with the Marvel defense right out the gate. I'm just saying. Um, it's not. It's easy to be have variety when your movies don't actually link together in any discernible fashion. Jeff, are you trying to tell me that having basically three versions of Joker within two years is not a cohesive vision? Uh, anyway, anyway, yes, you're right. It's not a, it's not a uh, cohesive universe in the same way, but you got movies like Aquaman, you got movies like, uh, Joker, you got movies like Wonder Woman and, uh, it's cool. There, there's a wide variety and, uh, I'm a fan of that. So anyway, Devinder Harder, what did you think of the Suicide Squad? You and I have been James Gunn fans from way back. So I'm very curious what you thought of this one. Absolutely. I'm a huge James Gunn fan. Um, like, yeah, I think since Slither. I realized like this guy, there's something special about him and the way he makes movies. And I think this movie has a lot of what I like in James Gunn films. Like there's a lot of uh, certainly a lot of humor and humor that works really well. Characters you actually care about a ton of violence and uh, perhaps the most violence I've seen in a studio film in a very, very long time. Like this is. Uh, people were making, um, you know, comparisons to like uh, trauma films, you know, like the the low budget stuff he used to work on. And it has that kind of vibe of just like really gross things, heads exploding, entrails everywhere. Um, you know, because it, it just feels unique in that respect. Um, but I don't I don't know if it fully worked for me. You know, I think there's a lot of like watching this movie. I'm thinking of the meta story here, too, because James Gunn got this movie when he was kicked off of guardians three because of those bad faith like in, like there's a lot of things happening it was because of bad faith attacks tweets. against his like his tweets that he'd made in the past basically exactly yeah. exactly yeah and so i can almost feel that in this movie too like you can almost see um wb coming to him and being like you could do whatever the hell you want <laughs> We just want, we have we literally be, nothing to yes, lose. James. We have nothing to lose. We want to be in the James Gunn business, and I think he just like took that deal and went as crazy as he could. Um, I do think like maybe this movie runs a little too long. Like I think it it gets really repetitive after a certain point. Like the the jokes, the specific jokes, feel like they're repeated too long. Uh, the the uh, the extra violence, the extra gore, and everything just seems like when you get so much of it, you start to get a little desensitized. So I started to be like less impressed with certain things, but I think overall it's a really, it's certainly like a more watchable movie than the first one. Like it, it feels like a coherent film. Um, I do think like there's, there's a lot of stuff where I feel like I don't really connect with some of these characters and some of the characters just feel like, Oh, you, you're just like taking the guardians template and kind of just like cutting and pasting it over here. Um, I just really, really feel that like, like, King Shark is very much just like um, Groot. He's very he's Groot, but he is also uh, Batista. Drax, character. yeah, he's yeah. Drax and in Groot's one. baby, basically. In mm. one, yeah, similar humor. You get you get like a famous uh, you know big muscle guy to do the voice, and you get comedy. It's great, uh, but I, it felt less uh, unique than it did in Guardians too. So th- there's some of that. Um, as always, 
Harley Quinn is is the gem. Like she she steals this movie for me. I think that's the main saving grace. Like Margot Robbie inhabits that character so well. Anything she is in, even in like the side story stuff that kind of goes on here, I want to see all of it. Um, I, I like the core cast. Like John Cena works much better here than he did in F9. Idris Elba, I think, is fine, even though like the character is. I still don't know what the difference is between his character and Will Smith's character. They, <laughs> yeah. they both shoot shoot good. One is blood sport. The uh-huh. other one is dead shot. They're completely, completely different, different, Devendra. At least yeah. this one, this one shot Superman with the kryptonite bullet. So that sounds yeah. cool. That's that's much cooler than anything um, the the uh, dead shot did. You know. So yeah, I, I'm mixed a little about this. Um, there's stuff we'll talk about in spoilers because I think. I don't know. Maybe it's just like the way they wrote Amanda Waller in this movie feels kind of weird and wild too. like we know she's not she is the person kind of behind the Suicide Squad, but she's not exactly a good person in this movie. Like she seems just like hell bent to do crazy things like it, it doesn't feel true to any character. It doesn't really make much sense other than to be like mustache twirlingly evil, I think. So there, there's a lot of stuff like that that don't really connect for me, but still a fun movie overall. Like I enjoyed watching it for sure. All right. Jeff Kanata, what did you think of the suicide squad? Well, Dave, I guess you could say what I thought of the suicide squad is best summed up in the form of a limerick. All right. The 2016 films, the worst, but somehow that course was reversed This sets a new bar for how much and how far a sequel can outshine the first. Nice. Very nice. Very, yeah. That's just really solid execution on that one. Good tempo there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Hey, you know that that game that you play sometimes where it's like, okay, name one movie where the second (laughs) one is better than the first one. And people are like, Uh Godfather 2. Mm -hmm. And some people are like, Empire Strikes Back. And it's like. Now there's just there's just this is just the one that you name because there are very few movies where the first movie is utter garbage and mm-hmm. the sequel is is a really great fun movie. Well, and, the rare movies where the, where the first one is utter garbage and there is a sequel, you know, <laughs> right, right? Like this is weird territory we're in in general. Yeah. And, it, you know, we're in topsy-turvy land, too, because I guess this one didn't do well and the first one did do well. I don't know. I guess it's Fool Me Once. I'm hoping that's why people didn't go see it because it was Fool Me Once. But it's a shame also, because also movie's... a global pandemic. You know. Yeah, well, there's that. Uh, but you know, people are going to the movie. Um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully the streaming numbers are great because that's how I watched it. But um, yeah, I'm rooting for this movie because uh, it's it's tons of fun. It does feel a lot like a rated R Guardians of the Galaxy movie, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. Like, I'm glad the Guardians of the Galaxy movies aren't rated R. But it's fun to see like what would happen if the Reins are taken off a little bit and you can just be <laughs> gory and you know and and crude and all those things and the you know, james gunn revels in it and takes full advantage and has tons of fun and if you're into that kind of stuff this movie delivers in a huge way and i, I can't wait to get to spoilers to talk about some specific scenes that tickled me but i i was watching this by myself laughing out loud numerous times uh it's genuinely funny you're so right Devendra, that John Cena is so much better suited in this kind of a part yeah. than he is in F9, where he's trying to pull it off and be <laughs> serious. And, you know, he's just a comedic actor in, in a muscle bound body. You know, it is he, and, and allowing him to be funny is 
great. And I think he has a, a solid future doing comedic work. I just don't buy him, frankly, as, you know, the, the antagonist in a Fast and Furious movie. Anyway, that's a side note. But the other thing that I will say that I find completely shocking, uh, if you had asked me, you know, years ago at, at the at the end of the Christopher Nolan era, when WB is ramping up its its cinematic universe, uh, such as it is, or its its next phase of this pantheon of characters, and you said what one character from the from the DC universe would they would nail every single time across multiple <laughs> movies. I would not have guessed Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is the only character that has been in multiple movies in this in this era, and every single time she's mm-hmm. phenomenal. The best part of the movie is handled pitch perfectly to you know what you would want from that kind of character. And a lot of the credit I think is to Margot Robbie, but. You know, it, it's wonderful that she's had writers and teams that kind of understand how to maximize her strengths and that character's strengths to create just incredible moments. Because even the first Suicide Squad movie, there's some awesome Harley Quinn moments in it. For in, in what is a yeah. terrible film, she there, still there's shines. some good stuff, and there are some like horrific things that I recall right yeah. now. That I'm like, whoa, oh, this is happening in the superhero movie. But yeah, I, I I would still give most of the credit to her, especially because without her, like Birds of Prey wouldn't exist, you know, without her pushing for it and everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I my friend uh, Anthony Carboni tweeted something that I'll repeat here because I thought it was uh, spot on. He said, if you loved uh, The Suicide Squad and you didn't like Birds of Prey, guess what? You liked Birds of Prey, yep, yep, <laughs> which yep. I thought was pretty clever. Um yeah, I, I I had a blast with this movie. I think uh, the Harley Quinn stuff is awesome. And it also, if you liked this movie, watch the Harley Quinn animated series on so HBO good. Max. It's more of this. It's so, so many people have said that to me over. I, I would say you will love even, it. even funnier than this. But yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but it, but it's this tone, right? It does. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uber violent. It's uh, completely uh, takes the piss out of out of DC characters. It has lots of wonderful cameos of like throwaway characters that are from, you know, the DC universe mm-hmm. from years and years. But, you know, completely subversive and goofy and funny. So great. So, you know, again, like Harley Quinn seems to be, for me, the center of the universe here. Although I also agree with you, Frank, that that Shazam was great. Shazam was yeah. genuinely great. Um Anyway, I have only positive things to say about this movie. I had a blast. In fact, you know, it it is up there with both Guardians movies for me as far as just pure entertainment value. I, I I'm looking forward to watching this movie again. I had so much fun with it. It 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 tickled me. There are wonderful sequences. There's a lot of stuff that you don't see coming that uh, really pays off in a beautiful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the effects are fantastic. Like. All of uh, King Shark, I, I never at one moment did I not think that that was a real thing standing there <laughs> alongside other people. Like it, it's, it's, I think it, it feels like a massive budget film. There's incredible. So, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, this movie was, it was so good. It like retroacted, re- retroactively made me hate the first movie less. It's that good. I don't know about that math, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I do know an alarming amount of people who have told me they watch them back to back. Mostly people not familiar with the material who watched it at home. Like at least five of my my acquaintances. I'm like, wow, that's a 
that's a mood. And of course, yeah. all of them are with you, Jeff. They were like, wow, what happened? I'm like, we don't we don't have to talk about it. Maybe listen to this podcast. You'll figure it out. I'll say a few quick words and then let's get to spoilers for this movie. Uh, I basically agree with everything you guys said. I really had a great time with this movie as well. My favorite thing about this movie is, well, two two favorite things. Number one, I think it's it's basically a superhero film that is at its core somewhat misanthropic. Uh, which I don't think we typically see in this genre, right? Which is to say, like, it's almost like nihilistic. This idea of like any of these characters could die at any minute. I mean, the and, the, the, the actual like setup for the Suicide Squad is incredibly cynical, right? So right. you kind of have to have that worldview. Yeah. Yes, and and this movie actually kind of like plays that out in in ways that I think are shocking and surprising in a way that I didn't feel like happened in the first film. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing I would say is that uh, attention is devoted to every single one of the main characters. And every single one of the main characters kind of gets at least a moment, if not an arc. Uh, And that's also kind of rare to see in these kinds of movies that have all these characters shoved in there. Uh, You know, there's, we've seen lots of Marvel films that have like dozens of characters and it's hard to, to have good character development for all of them, mm-hmm. satisfying moments for all of them. But I, I would say that happens for each one of these. I think that's a really hard thing to pull off. And I think James Gunn did a good job of it. So uh, those are just a couple of thoughts, but I have much more thoughts in the spoilers. So why don't we get to that? Got to take a break for a second and tell you about our sponsor, Babbel. This summer, get the most out of your travels abroad by learning the language of your destination with Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. From ordering in restaurants or asking for directions to gaining a deeper understanding of the culture, Babbel makes the whole process of learning a new language addictively fun and easy. With bite-sized lessons you can actually use in the real world, Babbel is a can't-miss travel essential. I'm not traveling, but I'm definitely trying to keep up with my kids who are learning Spanish by using Babbel myself. I'm keeping up. The kids are way ahead of me learning Spanish in school, learning Spanish from the nanny that we have, and it's so wonderful that I'm able to keep up by using Babbel. And Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. Unlike the infamous language classes that you probably took in high school, Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind, things you'll get to use in everyday life. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. And right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to Babbel.com and use promo code FILMCAST. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, code FILMCAST, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T, for an extra three months free. Uh, spoilers for Suicide Squad starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right, so 
I want to start by talking about the opening sequence of this movie, even though we're in the spoiler section, but I would say the opening is kind of a spoiler. We didn't really talk about it. Yeah. Uh, but the opening sequence kind of op- opens, it sets up Michael Rooker as one of the main characters in the squad that we're going to, presumably like as an audience surrogate that we're going to follow throughout the course of the movie, only to almost immediately kill him off in the opening scene. And I guess I'm curious, like, what mm-hmm. was your guys' reaction to that? Uh, Frank, what, what did you think of uh, Michael Rooker as Savant and how that character met his end? I had suspicions there would be, like, just because of the amount of famous people they were showing in trailers and on the posters. Uh, I actually managed to go to this movie pretty trailer blind. I, I hadn't, I think I saw a teaser, but not the full trailer. But uh, yeah, with Michael Rooker, as you said, like, it opens, camera locked on him, like, some nice character work like quickly with that first scene he gets our kind of like exposition like they introduce the concept kind of through him and i thought he was going to last but but just the fact that whole team some of whom feel a little like stunt casting like i was mm-hmm. like okay i don't think nathan fillion is gonna carry this movie let's be real <laughs> but, uh, hey, great character, yeah, yeah. yeah the detachable <laughs> kid come on that was incredible incredible but, uh, it, it was definitely like that's the kind of goof i feel like like having a squad and then die could be so mishandled, but I really like how they did that. It, it felt like the right amount of time. I don't know if it felt like that to you guys, but like it, it didn't go so far that I felt like the rug was pulled under. Like it felt mm-hmm. like a joke. And and I feel like the casting almost even leaned into that as well, which is almost some meta humor that for sure uh, they were able to, do, especially I, I saw multiple people being like, Oh, Pete Davidson's in this movie. And then like cheering. And <laughs> I have no qualms of myself, but he, it's just so interesting to see, almost a, a weird meta thing you can do right that right now with <laughs> casting like that or with with a, a concept and, and it's i do something think that, that would please both the pete davidson fans and uh, and the haters <laughs> i think and, uh, it's more than just a gag though too because it perfectly encapsulates the concept of this suicide squad they are mm-hmm. absolutely disposable and an entire group of superpowered people are just the decoy for the actual group of superpowered people it, it I loved how that just drove home this idea that the shadowy organization cares not for these folks and just will mm-hmm. throw them into the fan, you know, throw them, just throw them into the whirling blades to allow for some chance of, of, of better success. It is completely disposable. And, and so it didn't feel to me just like this wink, wink, nudge, nudge. It felt like a cool setup for what was actually going on. Yeah. 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 It's also I, amazing to me. They ki- They killed off. Everyone's favorite character from the first Suicide Squad, um, Jai Courtney's Captain Boomerang. <laughs> yeah, that that was a justice for Captain Boomerang. Come on, <laughs> I think Jeff. I think that's put very well. And also, mm-hmm. I think to me, what the opening scene represented is this is what it would actually be like if we put together a random assortment <laughs> of people with just completely bizarre ass skills and asked them to try to like fight a mission. One of them would betray everyone else. And then <laughs> the other ones would look rather silly trying to fight against this, this, uh, you know, paramilitary yeah. organization or whatever, because their skills are so freaking random. Yeah. Um, also you're, you're very experienced Colonel. Apparently you're just going to sacrifice along with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Joel yeah. Kimmon should have been more angry about that. <laughs> well, so was your was your interpretation that it was like literally a decoy or i thought it was just kind of a anton Chigurh type situation where they sent multiples into the into my, the place this definitely felt case. like the b team yeah my <laughs> interpretation was like these th- these people were there to literally be shot at mm. yes so that yes. the other team would not be shot at that's 
That yep. was my interpretation. And maybe even they were in on the fact that it was a setup, you know, like they, they knew that they, this guy was going to sell them out literally. So the entire army would be in one location and not the other location. That's true. That's true. Although I, then I question like why Harley Quinn, I guess they just really want to get rid of Harley Quinn having her on that team well, too. I think yeah. when you, if you, if you, if you're just a dispassionate, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, planner of the mission, really, what does the Harley Quinn bring to the table? She's literally just a psychotic person, you know, it's <laughs> not like, you know, it's she a has, fun psychopath. She is a great character and I agree. The performance is awesome, but yeah, I agree with Jeff also that it's such a weird char- character concept. This idea that she, she basically has no skills except we see her take down like a hundred dudes, like she's a special forces, you know, uh, skilled assassin or something yeah. like that. So mm-hmm. it's like, huh. Uh, anyway, she, she holds multitudes, <laughs> I think is what, what I'm trying to say. I love that I sequence thought- where she's, you know, she gets the javelin though. And she, and yeah. they have that, you know, the music swelling. He's like, you just gotta, gotta. And then she slaps him in the face. It's all, everything, everything felt pitch perfect to me. And I loved, um, What's his name? Uh, the 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 animal guy. What animal was he? A beaver? A weasel? Weasel? Yeah. 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 Oh, Love so, to see more so, weasel. Yeah. So yeah. well done. Show. A big laugh for me when he's like, "Is it a dog or whatever?" And they're in the, <laughs> in the chopper. Like, that you that really was a think good... that's a dog? Yeah. <laughs> it's a truly horrific character design too. Like yeah. just looking at that thing makes me want to like claw my yeah. eyes out. It's, yeah, poor weasel. It's got that like the two eyeballs not facing the right direction thing that you often see in, in like Pixar yeah. animated. It's Looney Tunes. He's a yeah, Looney but Tunes done character. you know with yeah. hyper realism makes it yeah. so disturbing. Ugh. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and, indeed. And like you said, Jeff, this was a phenomenal like looking movie i was mm-hmm. kind of blown away like watching it like it, again i'm lucky enough to have like a an iso led tv watching in 4k and i was just like makes me think to even like five years ago like wow like we've come so far with visual fidelity the composed fact that, shots yeah. uh actual yeah. editing that makes sense yeah amazing. <laughs> yeah yeah uh i had a question for you frank i'm curious uh you know at various times during the movie uh, the movie flashes back, you know, like you see something and it's like four days earlier or eight minutes earlier or whatever to kind of show you all the context that led up to that. What do you feel about that as a storytelling device in general, a- as a storyteller yourself? And also, how do you feel it was executed in the film? Well, it was definitely really interesting to me. I, I like the visual they did with a lot of almost like title cards worked into the environment. For yes. Like chapter names. So like, neat. Is, yeah, that. I'm, yeah. I'm a nerd for mm-hmm. visuals like that. I, I typically don't like to to jump around like i like linear narrative but here i feel like the tone supported it because we were doing a little bit of that bait and switch and we go back and see like okay this is how we got there and and as i said i I feel like it it was a very specifically executed bit that i think they handled really well that could have gone off the rails in a lot of ways like this whole team dying and for what it was i think it worked well i mean typically again I, i don't love especially in something that is not the most complicated plot, like to just kind of dice it up for the sake of trying to make it more interesting. But here I think it just felt like a hell of a purpose. And Mm -hmm, and as you guys mm -hmm. had said earlier on, I do agree. Like, I don't know how this film was actually made, but the fact that you can feel clear artistic kind of direction behind it, the fact that this has a very clear identity, a very clear goal, like that's so refreshing to me because we've seen so many movies, uh, especially comic movies that, you can feel like seven different people wrote them. You can feel that there were arguments about tone that they were recut. And honestly, like I hate that as a consumer, I need to understand like this stuff happens, but this was just one of those things where I'm like, okay, thankfully, like someone wanted to do these things. They did them for a purpose. And 
whether it lands for me or not, I can at least respect the fact that, okay, like we're, we're doing those time jumps for a purpose, not because someone was like, Oh, we just wrote another scene and we want to squeeze it in. Let's just do a back and forth. So Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. it did work for me as I, I hate having to litigate a movie being like, Oh, it seemed like someone knew what they were doing. (laughs) But uh, but I think uh, that seems to be many of our statements during the course of this review is like, Oh, there was a director. They had final cut potentially, you know, and so on. But uh, well, I'm glad it worked for you in this case, uh, Jeff or Devendra. Any any thoughts on the the, the flashbacks? I, I, I personally very, really enjoyed them. I yeah, I got, I got, it's very like Guy Ritchie, you know, like the, yeah. the last time we saw it was the Guy Ritchie movie we just reviewed, where I don't think it uh, it worked well at all because that one just felt like it was for a show. Whereas this one, like I think they occurred at the right moments, like they added like a nice touch to all those scenes. So yeah, it worked. It really like heightened the comedy. One thing I'll point out too, is that um, the actual core character, the core of the suicide squad that we get, uh, including Ratcatcher two and uh, who's it? Dalmatian. Polka dot man. Polka dot man. Yeah. Uh, All of them, like those folks and, and even King shark, like they really made those characters too. So like, I think like that is part of the like James Gunn magic of finding people to portray these characters really well and doing them justice. Like even though some of their like heartfelt moments felt a a, a little much, you know, I think like, honestly, I think they were even leaning into like how saccharine some of it was like Ratcatcher 2's backstory. Uh, my father and I would, would sh- huddle with the rats and they would keep us warm. Um, I think it worked like the tone right. of like, it, it felt self-aware to it. me. Yes. It felt self-aware yes. of like what it was doing and, and how over the top it was. Mm-hmm. But I am going to say one thing that did not feel self-aware about this. Oh movie. boy. Uh, and this email comes in from Victor uh, who writes into slash from cast gmail.com subject. The whole coup de top subplot <laughs> is really problematic. Yeah. Victor writes in quote, yep. I'm from Chile. We had a horrific dictatorship from 1973 to 1990 under the rule of Augusto Pinochet who seized power after a very violent coup d'etat which led to almost 30 years of persecution, executions, arrests and state terrorism. I'm 29 and though I didn't get to live under that regime, the effect it had on our society is still palpable. There's a substantial portion of the population that justify the regime even though thousands of Chileans died. The influence of that period of time is so vast. We've lived for 30 years as a, dem- as a democratic republic by now, and we're just writing a new constitution, one that hopefully will tear down the last bastion of that dictatorship. My point is, we know what a coup d'etat entails, the suffering it leads to, the horrific acts it validates. And then comes this movie, which goes a long way to point out uh, that uh, American interventionalism and ex- imperialism, <laughs> something that hits very close to home here, uh, and the rebels' happy ending is literally storming into the government building and seizing power in the name of the people. We're all adults here. When has a violent government takeover ever ended up in peace and prosperity for the people? Yeah, I get it. The Cortel Maltese government is shown in the movie, was put there and supported by the American government, so the people take over uh, was thought as an act of independence. But as someone who lives in a country with a long history of dictatorship, I can tell you that is not at all a happy ending. It's actually quite insensitive. A lot of innocent mm-hmm. people died there. A lot more than just the bad guys, for sure. And yes, this is a blockbuster, a popcorn film that's not supposed to be taken that seriously, but that doesn't mean it should be insensitive, end quote. Um, The email goes on. It is a very thoughtful email. But I I think that insofar as this movie has any politics, they're kind of a disaster. And uh, the idea of like, yeah, the rebels, you know, going in there and seizing the power and yay, I guess it... I guess it ended happily for everyone. I think is how we're supposed to feel about it. And that's the um, end of that chapter. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think uh, it's unfortunate and I can understand why someone would be really upset. And I think it's just like, 
it, it's unfortunate that that's the message of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think the movie, as I as, as I indicated, is overall like fairly misanthropic in general. Like no one comes out of this looking good. Um, certainly not the American government. But uh, I understand. Like it, it, it is very uh, sort of understandable to me that somebody watches this movie and thinks like it's insensitive because this is kind of a vision of American imperialism in some way that um, has. Uh, been prevalent in many yeah. movies over the course of the last few decades. So I'll, I'll say our our core crew tends to come out of this looking pretty good. Like uh, of this film, like um, uh, those that survive, the, yeah. those that survive. <laughs> like there, there's redemption there. Like uh, even even after killing, um, killing, yeah, you know, or shooting Superman, right. Like Bloodsport well, is still in this still universe. Kind of... Superman deserves to be shot. <laughs> I suppose. Like we don't know. I, I want to know more of that. Like I want to know more right. of that. Right. What was the story there? Yeah. Um, the, the whole thing about Rebels does seem like it is movie shorthand because I can I can think of quite a few films where it's a very similar thing. You know, evil government, uh, heroic rebels, and uh, yeah, all exactly. done. All done once they win. Um, I think it's leaning on that trope. But hey, I was I was born in South America, folks. It is it is horrific what has gone on there. Uh, and especially because of the U.S. government, so yeah, it's uh, it doesn't feel good. It it feels like uh, one of those things. Like, um, what was the Avengers like mythical mythical city Sokovia? that they came up with in yeah. Sokovia, Sokovia too? Like, yeah. it, it does feel like the damage, um, you know, countries and superheroes, you know, wreak on these uh, people isn't always like um, I, I think handled very well. Yeah, there there there's. Probably the the funniest bit of the movie is the one where they go through the entire camp killing everybody. Yeah. I was just gonna bring that up. It's one of my favorite then, sequences in the whole movie. It, it's it is yeah, fantastic, brilliant. Yeah, you, you just killed all the rebels. Who are they fighting with? <laughs> so brilliant at the end. It's hilarious, but I'll, I was also like, so are we gonna reckon with any of that? Because now now you're trying to get this right. I mean, help. they killed yeah. like her whole entire family. I, I, but that's yeah. that's the thing is <laughs> no, like, no, no, they didn't kill her family. The the yeah. She at the end she makes a point that the dictator killed her family they, they, they killed, they her, killed like her, her her her, her surrogate family yeah is what her i'm saying friends. like, yeah. like you know, her friends and stuff like that like presumably she'd be more upset about that but like you know on on the i feel like the movie tries to kind of like have its cake and eat it too in many mm-hmm. ways um the american government is responsible for like installing the the bad government but on on some level the american government is also responsible for sending in the suicide squad or uh task yes, force x right i i don't think you can read the american government as virtuous at any level in this Not movie. The only reason yeah. that anything good happens is because the suicide squad decides to go against what right. they were told yep. by the American government. That's mm-hmm. the only it's reason a- anything happens positively at all is because they defy the American government. The American government is the big bad in this movie in yeah, a does, large sense. Doesn't mm-hmm. Waller say at the end, like, yes. we don't care about these people. Just let them die. Like, yeah, it's true. It's true. They don't know. They don't come off looking particularly good. I agree with you, Devendra, that basically the remaining uh, people from the Suicide Squad are the only people that come out of this looking good. Um, and even they uh, brutally slaughtered that whole camp of rebels who theoretically are the good guys at the end. of the I got to say, yeah. though, that that is one of my two favorite se- sequences in this entire movie, because I love that it, it is a sequence about characters one-upping each other as to how badass they can be which is like fun in and of itself as how ludicrous their murder of these people are and we're we're having fun along with them and like every new kill is even more disgusting and over the i mean that that part where john cena walks and there's a person like asleep and he just 
hatches the hatchets them like five times hatchet 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 as he walks by yeah nobody was fighting back yeah it's 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 comedic and and hilarious and stands on its own like if it never had that twist it would still have been a really fun sequence and then the twist is you guys are such idiots you killed the good guys yeah i don't know i I found it it reckons with all of those i think the whole point of it it reckons with every other movie that has those sequences you know where it's like you were reveling in the violence too it's like yeah it it is sort of like trying to make you think oh no those are the good guys oh oh man i i feel like (laughs) even a little callback to that like uh i I would celebrate with all my friends but you guys killed them all (laughs) yeah right it's it's pretty fucked up it's pretty yeah. fucked up. <laughs> pretty what happens. That's that's how that's my reaction to it. I I agree with you that it is like a very effective sequence, but it's also like pretty fucked up, and I think intentionally so. But mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that's kind of what this movie is. You know, it, yeah. it pushes the line uh, of what is considered proper and acceptable, and it's extremely provocative. And that's obviously not for everyone. And mm-hmm. parts of it worked for me, and some parts of it didn't work for me. And I think that's going to be true of other people in varying degrees. Frank, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh no, I, I was going to agree uh, that it it is just so fascinating that they they'll do something that is, and again, they like the film will do something provocative, but doesn't want to languish in it or answer for itself. Yes, it yes. wants to play the joke and move on. And mm-hmm. again, I understand that, but it, that's why we get responses like that very well put letter where. Yeah, you you don't want to engage with this, but someone is, and it mm-hmm. can be hurtful, and and that's such a hard line to walk. And it is a bummer that it doesn't, even as you were saying, call back to it or even try to move forward. It is just like, well, we're just having fun. Don't worry who gets hurt in the process. And right, it, it, and it is unfortunate because I agree with you, Jeff. That is a really fun, great sequence, and and kind of gets to the point of or saying it was like refreshing to see a bit like that. Like that could just be like a little mini sequence in itself, right? If you were doing a little superhero parody movie or. Supervillain I mean, parody it's, movie. It's right out of Predator, the first Predator movie. Yeah, that yeah. sequence where they come in and they just take out that entire encampment. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good reference. Um, and yeah, I, I, I kind of just wish that the whole rebel subplot wasn't in the movie because I feel like it would be slightly less problematic as a film if that was the case. And I think you could have made it work without that, but I don't know. Um, Curious your guys' thoughts on uh, the very end of the movie and and how that all plays out. You know, uh, Devendra, you were talking about Amanda Waller being cartoonishly evil in this movie. Uh, People in the chat room, as we're broadcasting live right now, uh, were bringing up that, like, she gunned down all of her own people in the first movie. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yep. So she was already pretty bad. She's, she's you know? pretty bad, but it doesn't, like, the motivation for it does not make much sense in this one, I guess, but... Sure, sure. I, I do like getting the team around her. Um, I really wonder what's going to happen to the person who knocked her out. You know? yeah, that was well. That was fun. That was like a fun kind of dynamic, like like the mm-hmm. office esque dynamics of like you get to see the culture of the team. And there is a little post credit scene where they do acknowledge mm-hmm. uh, what happens with the guy who hit her on the head with a golf club. Or was it the was it the it guy was the or woman. was it the woman? No, Sorry, it was the, the woman. woman, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. no, no, good, good call. I, th- yeah. I think they're setting up. I, evidently, there's going to be a John Cena. There's a Peacemaker show. Peacemaker doing it. Yeah. yeah. So I think that was the backdoor pilot for that. That little yes. stinger. Yes. Look, Jeff, it's Which, the most cohesive the DCU has ever been. Yeah. Is, yeah. Hey, it connects. It actually connects. It, 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 it they, actually they connects to the thing they're doing. Yep. In one thing that will go to another thing. Uh, <laughs> so Steve Agee in that show. I hope. I hope so. I like. I like Steve Agee in this. Yeah. yeah. For sure. He played the uh, shark guy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm not sure how I feel about a Peacemaker show after this. Uh, how dare he? How agree, dare agree. he kill Rick Flag? 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know if there's any coming back for that and, for, uh, from, from me. Cool sequence, and, and though. Ready, American hero, and Rick ready Flag. And a child as well, like, presumably. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, like Pleasemaker much at this point. I, I got to talk about the the takedown of the starfish, though, yeah. because mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. one of the most satisfying defeat the big enemy <laughs> kaiju of all time, you know, like yeah, yeah. all of the all of the steps it took to take it down were awesome. How terrifying it, it, it was hilarious and terrifying at the same time. Right. It's this big, goofy looking thing that is actually doing something utterly horrific to human beings you know that that moment that little throwaway you know four frames or whatever you get to see of uh earlier in the movie of the starfish being removed from a face and there's just like a cutout of a starfish shape of, of the face <laughs> the worst, yeah. the worst. so yeah. <laughs> i will never unsee that um so it's like this horrifying creature that is also kind of goofy and and cartoonish but the steps and and by the way all of the uh the polka dot man's mom stuff so well done like just from a, an effect standpoint so well done and having, yeah, and I, I like how they set it up right mm-hmm. uh, yeah. where you see her face in various pe- other people's bodies yeah in order to have that conclusion at the end just like so good very basic setup and payoff that happens yeah. throughout the course of the movie and but it's then, really effective yeah then the the harley quinn into the eye goo <laughs> And turns around and sees the rats follow her into the eye goo. It, like that is chef's kiss, dude. Pretty that good. that is it, it, it's so satisfying to see them start gnawing on the like eye. Uh, I don't know brain the stem. Fucking, I guess yeah. Like, yeah. And then yeah. and then you we you know it, the music swelling and you're sort of in this kind of crazy peaceful state and you see her just mm-hmm. hovering in the water and then we cut to the exterior and the eye is like half full of red liquid it's just so <laughs> beautiful visceral. and terrific at the same time that yes. is a james gunn yeah that's, that's the thing james basically. gunn seems to be able to find like beauty in gore, gore. Right? Be- yeah. beauty in the viscera and uh i you know i was watching i watched this movie with my covid bubble and they were horrified by that i thought it was beautiful like when <laughs> oh, she goes into exquisite. the eye yeah it just is like oh this is yeah. this is beautiful you know but also like it's, it's the way you see harley's perspective too because we got like the beautiful flower scene early on and like her perspective is like this stuff the the ultraviolence can be beautiful as yeah. well right so yeah. we well that's what she says to him too. when she mm-hmm. shoots the the guy she says you're you're most beautiful like this with the mm-hmm. blood coming out of you i mean that is a window into her mind yeah. well there's also if you have uh, the, the soundtrack by the way uh don murphy there's it's not don murphy uh it's the the sunshine guy right he cannot uh he cannot get away from his score because the sunshine score was like underneath John, so John Murphy. Of, John Murphy. Murphy. John yeah. Murphy. Don Murphy's uh, the Matrix one, right? Um, but yeah, he cannot escape the Sunshine score, which also <laughs> appeared in something else I complained about. But hey, Wonder Woman, least, 1984. Yeah, I think it's yeah. at least it works here, and it's it's the guy bringing it back. So sure, go ahead. <laughs> uh, also, talk about you know I was talking about how like every character gets a little moment. Um, guys, even the starfish gets a moment. You know, remember yeah, he says sympathetic. I was happy floating staring at the stars uh, before he dies, <laughs> that, which is actually like... That was a lot, yeah. Really I, I enjoyed that. It's really sad. Frank, go we, ahead. we did this to him, yeah. yeah. I, I can't remember when, when 
she's in the eye. Is that when they intercut the final rat catcher to uh, Taika Waititi moment, which that's, so. yeah. that's what really actually brought the movie together for me. Cause I, I was so curious if, if they were going to find anything to, to say with this beyond like, like kind of like, Oh, we, we get the action conceit. We get the jokey conceit. And it's not the most highbrow brilliant thing, but I really did like that. They pulled it together with, Oh, like, well, if you can, if rats can be important that anyone can, if the lowest of us can, and I'm like, okay, he at least found like a theme there that resonates with the suicide squad mm-hmm, right, themselves right. And, and picks up. And I was not ready for the level of which that little rat worked for me. Like every time it was just being <laughs> cute, I was like, I guess I, I'm really into rats now. But, uh, but I thought that was at least a nice, like, it, again, it's not the a galaxy brain exploding theme, but it was at least saying like, okay, that, that mirrors again, uh, I'm just going to call him Idris Elba because yeah, Bloodsport, <laughs> Bloodsport, yeah. Blood sure. uh, it mirrors him. And that was little things like that go a long way for me, sadly. Like, as I said, I'm used to just seeing things executed with no care, just boom, <laughs> yeah. boom, boom through the plot. And I was like, oh, thank you, James Gunn, for realizing, like, y- you have a little bit of a core here. And <laughs> and I-, I think it was intricate at that moment, which was really nice because we get that in little pieces. And at first I'm like, OK, uh, the dad died. I get it. It's a bummer. But when when they brought it back with that, I thought it was a really nice way to kind of actually give a little bit of uh, earnest feeling. And, and you were saying this a little bit of that self-aware saccharine, but I am so here for that after all the grim dark sure, wanting sure. to be like, yeah. just like anything that's earnest is, is bad. I feel like we've moved towards and in, in, to see it and done in a, in a kind of celebratory, like happy way for without being a total joke is a little refreshing at this mm-hmm. point for me. Indeed. I mean, ultimately talking about that rat catcher storyline, the message of the movie is in some ways, right, is about broken people saving the world, right? It's about like even the lowest of the low can do something that's yeah. valuable and worthwhile and meaningful. Which um, is also kind of the the Guardians of the Galaxy right. thing. So, exactly. Yeah. I was so, going to say that as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a bunch of losers. Yeah. Any other thoughts or shall we wrap it up there? I think uh, we all like this movie. Uh, all had a great time. Uh, there were some issues. Stallone. With it. Stallone. Good. He's book, he read book good. I, I thought it was kind of funny. It, almost very like cute. he's making fun of his his own like persona in a way, yeah. like because he he is leaning into the Stallone accent for it too. So I don't I, I don't know. I just found all that really funny. And just like another shout out to like to the core team, like David Desmalkian, Desmalkian, yeah, uh, as Polka Dot Man. Like he adds so much to that character. Dana Daniela Melchior adds so much to Rat, Cat, Rat Catcher too. That is the core of what makes James Gunn's projects typically work well. And I'm glad he was. And they all have great chemistry with each other, too. Yeah. 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 And that that Polka Dot Man is another example of that uh, gruesome and beautiful at the same time thing. Like every Mm -hmm. time that he would have the growths all over his face and body, it was hideous, but also beautiful. Like the way that would be this neon look underneath the skin, it was really well executed, I think. Mm -hmm. And, And I think a great use of like, ensemble pieces are so hard right like so i think someone mentioned before like so many movies there are people who are just in the background but i think one the actor david desmalchin brought so much to that character it is it is performance and and how he kind of just uh delivered lines and and even just looked like he had such a unique look with the character Mm -hmm. and uh it's just a great way to execute on a smaller role, but give them just enough meat to feel fulfilling. And, and in his case, he ends up dying, which is ultimately tragic as well. But uh, it was really nice to see like, oh, you, you know how to handle your bit players as well. Well, not a bit player, but side characters who aren't going to be right in the front. But uh, I've seen so much love mm-hmm. for that character in 
come from there. And I think that's just a testament to them, everyone handling that well. And uh, it's refreshing. I, I will say that uh, as a final thought, it the funniest thing in the movie to me, sadly, was like, because it, it wasn't a big thing, but just when Harley Quinn couldn't remember that character's name and then thinks that's <laughs> so his name, like little <laughs> so things like funny. that are a little more slapsticky and it, again, a comedy banter, that I typically good banter. Yeah, so funny it, without just being sarcastic. That was like, I think the only time I really like gut laughed when <laughs> they were talking and he's I been with us the whole time. <laughs> yeah. He's been here the whole time. <laughs> I love, I love when people argue fondly because that's basically our podcast, right? That's, that's it. It's hard to do that well in a movie. Also want to say it is really, it's interesting to see Desmalchian's face uh, in this movie because he's popped up all over the place, right? He was, he was in the dark night and people referred to that. I was like, Oh no, I exactly remember. He was one of those like Joker thug people. Mm. I, I will give yeah. a shout too. He is a huge comic fan. He actually has a comic. He wrote at dark horse. Uh, a, one of my collaborators has worked at it. It's called count Crowley midnight, reluctant midnight monster hunter, I believe. So he is mm. just deep in this world. And I know just so thankful and excited about it. So I'm so glad to see him have more of a breakout role. Cause I, I feel like a lot of times he has side characters and yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it went viral. He has like a little, he adopted a cat in Panama and they made a little polka dot band costume for his cat or the <laughs> costume designers. And that was just the wholesome content. I guess animal content is what animal I need content. in 2021. <laughs> Let's give it all. But he, a dude was in Blade Runner 2049, Ant-Man, the wasp. He's going to be in Dune. I want everything for him at this point. Uh, we can't get away from the fucking nanotechnology, though, guys. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> what are you referring to specifically, Jeff? Yeah. Goddamn blood sports guns are all fucking... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why? Why did we I, need that? We didn't I, I need like, that. Did they address it? I, like I was like, I thought the design was pretty it, it was cool. cool. It added was cool. nothing. Like, the, it's cool that he had things on his body, but the end when he's like... And it's just like, it's constructing itself into a much bigger thing I than love, it could possibly I be. love this. I love this. This <laughs> oh, is a movie where it, it has so much. interdimensional virus... Yeah. That makes a character uh, absorb polka dots, but Jeff is all all against the nanotech. Because it would, it would change everything. It would change conservation literally mass, everything. Just, yeah. He's just a guy with nanotech. He just has nano. He's just a, a fucking ex-con with nanotech. Sure, in, why not? In Jeff's defense, I'm gonna say it would have probably been cooler if it was like all, if all that stuff was done practically. Like yes. if he had like all these things strapped to his body, just and he had to like, it. put them on. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm with you, Jeff, about the nanotech, the the, the scourge of nanotech in our films. Scourge it's, of uh, nanotech, indeed. I mean, it's pretty they'll, lame. They'll the nanotech will remember Jeff. Like, don't worry, it's not going to be too long now. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, at the end of the day, it's still pretty impressive that James Gunn made a movie. So, yeah, I think yeah, that's going to bring us to the end of our review. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. This episode of the podcast, more episodes, I should say, can be found at thefilmcast.com. You can email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of adamwarrock.bandcamp.com. Our spoiler buffer comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Corwith. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. Uh, Frank Barberi is the author of Astonishing Times, a new superhero comic out on Comixology Originals. Frank, thanks so much for joining us today, man. It's been really fun. Thank you so, so much, guys. It's it's an absolute pleasure. And uh, again, surreal to be part of it, but continue to do all the great work you do, and I will keep tuning in. Awesome. So this, uh, this Astonishing Times, what, what's the what's the kind of like elevator pitch for this, this book? Uh, I'll be quick with this. So I actually uh, co-wrote it with Eris Canonis. It's drawn by an artist named Ruri Coleman, colorist Lauren Affey, and a designer, Dylan Todd, letterer uh, Taylor Esposito. It is a kind of modern look at superheroes through the lens of, okay, superheroes have been around for a long time. What is it about them that kind of makes them resonate, keeps them coming back? 
And uh, our main character is essentially a journalist whose father was almost like the Jimmy Olsen of this world. And he is the only one kind of left beating this drum when everyone else has moved on past the idea of superheroes being interesting. They're just commonplace. And uh, he gets into a position where he's going to lose his job unless he gets a really good story and gets kind of drawn into a superhero murder mystery where he gets to work aside uh, some of the great superheroes of this world. So it is a story that focuses on a human journalist, which I think is never done with with exception of a few things and really meant to celebrate why people still talk about superheroes, what can still resonate in 2021, and really just turn that kind of positivity excitement about the genre, not into a joke, but into kind of an earnest adventure story. So for us, we keep saying it's our love letter to the genre and and hopefully kind of helps bring it into context for 2021. Uh, I'm super proud of it. I, I know my uh, co-writer, Eris, is... It's his first comic, so it's been a delight to kind of bring him on this journey as well. But uh, you can check it out on Amazon. Uh, if you have a Prime account, you can actually read it for free on Amazon if you look it up or on Comixology itself. But uh, yeah, that is my <laughs> way too too long probably a pitch for it. But uh, it is really just a new book that we want to spread some positivity with and tell a cool story. So Very I'm, cool. That's why Sounds I kept cool. going in yeah. with this. That's not cynical. And, and I was glad <laughs> this movie, despite being, again, a little misanthropic, uh, well, a little, but wasn't overly cynical as, as that's the, those are the takes that are refreshing to me now. All right. That's Astonishing Times. And it's out on Comixology Originals. Frank, thanks again for joining us. Next Thank week, you. we will be discussing, uh, it's going to be a double review, actually. Uh, we're going to be doing two reviews that are going to make up most of the podcast. And the first film that we're going to be reviewing is the Nicolas Cage film Pig. Uh-huh. That's out in video on demand right now, directed by Michael Sarnowski. Uh, that I've been looking forward to that for a long time. The second film we're going to be reviewing <laughs> is the Sundance hit Coda, directed by Cyan Heater. Yeah. Uh, quite that quite is the right double now. feature. There. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. mean, two movies that are extremely similar in every single way. <laughs> uh, but yes, that's Coda on Apple TV and also Pig uh, available on video on demand right now. Uh, it's going to be a double review on next week's episode of the Filmcast. So watch both those movies. Tune in. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.